All right. Thank you, BJ and the team, for leading, leading us today. We appreciate uh, the worship this morning. Uh, Paige and Matt, uh, Matt is our young adults pastor. They are away this weekend on a young adults retreat. So uh, they're up there. If uh, you didn't get invited to that retreat, it's possible you're not a young adult. So if, if, if you didn't know about it and you don't qualify, sorry. Um, I hate to break the news to you. Anyway, so uh, they're up there at Lake Arrowhead having a good time uh, this morning or this weekend. Hey, this morning we are beginning a new series called Converge. And we're calling this Life Where Heaven Meets Earth. And what, the point of what we're going to do is we're studying the idea of the kingdom of God. See, one of the central themes of Jesus' teachings, in fact, mentioned 85 times throughout Scripture, uh, Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so we've been thinking through this, and it, why is this so important to Jesus? And if it's essential to his teaching, it's something that we want to understand. And so we're going to take some time to explore the concept of the kingdom of God. And, and why we call this series Converge is this, is the tagline, Life Where Heaven Meets Earth. And one thing we're going to talk about today is demonstrate that when Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God, there is this convergence, this bringing together of heaven, the God's reign and rule on life here on earth. So it's converged to see how the kingdom of heaven uh, impacts, affects our lives here today. And the other thing is this, is we are launching a bunch of groups called Converge Groups. A lot of your life groups are actually going through the Converge series as well. And then we have some new groups for um, those who have never been in a life group, and we're going through a series called Converge. The other point of that is we want all of our groups to share and converge to come together at one point of understanding Jesus' concept of the kingdom of God and how it affects us individually and how it affects us as a church in the future. Now, I need to know, does, is anyone here signed up for their life group or converge group? This should be a lot of you. Okay, we have, all right, I need someone different over here. All right, so I have for you, do you have a book yet? I have a free book for you, a converge book. It's, it's, it's for you for signing up there, Johnny. So you have your free converge book. That's my gift to you. For the rest of you, if you don't have your book, your free book is on the back on the way out. <laughs> and uh, And so anyone who signs up for the group, feel free to grab one of those books. We have them for all of you. And uh, there's even a place for sermon notes if you want to kind of keep it there and it helps you stay awake during the sermon. So, um, but we invite you all, if you say, hey, I've never been in a group, here's an opportunity maybe to jump in. It's only for eight weeks. So after the service today, you can go and grab a book and, and join a group. So as we talk about this, though, there's, you know, I was thinking back to um, when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God, he, he speaks of it as like this great, valuable thing. And I was thinking about when I was a kid, I was a younger brother, so most of what I had was always, had already been someone else's. Any, any younger siblings here who kind of grew up with hand-me-downs? Yeah, you grow up with hand-me-downs until you get to the size where you're bigger than your older sibling, right? And then it's like, I finally have my own stuff. And, um, but I remember when I was in third grade, I got this really beautiful blue and white Huffy BMX bike. You guys remember Huffy? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty big time when I got that. And the thing that was so cool about it for me was it was the first time I had a bike that no one else ever possessed. It was, the, I was the only owner of this Huffy. It even had those little cool pads. Remember, they had the pads on the front there and um, said Huffy. It was so tough. Yeah, so... Um, 
But I remember that and I remember how much that meant to me because here's something that I was not used to, having my own stuff. And, and that became like this treasured possession of mine for our neighborhood bicycle gang, which was called the Tarantulas. We were pretty cool. All right, so <laughs> we even had these little t-shirts. Anyway, okay, so, but I remember having that, what a great possession that was for me. I'm sure if we looked back at all of our lives and thought through things from your life, your childhood, maybe even now, you say, what is something is your greatest possession? Something that you remember that you just cherish. And you can't say your kids, that's cheating. <laughs> but when you think of it, we all have something, Right? It's interesting that Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God and he gives us a different perspective. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew chapter 13, uh, we're going to just pick it up in verse 44. We're going to read a few verses here before we get started. In Matthew chapter 13 verse 44, speaking about the kingdom of God, and he says this, the kingdom of heaven, and by the way, in the book of Matthew, Matthew often writes the kingdom of heaven. It's, most scholars would agree this is synonymous with kingdom of God. It's out of respect for the Jewish tradition of not using the name of God. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and he hid it again. And from joy over, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. I'm going to stop there for a moment. So when Jesus is speaking about the concept of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, he says this is the thing that is worth everything to you. It should be the thing that is of such great value that you're willing to give up everything, including your little huffy bicycle, to possess the kingdom of God. It is a thing that will change your lives and transform you more than anything. So Jesus says, if you just could grasp the concept of kingdom of God, things will be different. So when we think of our series, or why are we doing a series on the kingdom of God, it's really this idea that Jesus is saying this is essential for us to understand as his followers. So let me give you a little definition here when we talk about the kingdom of God. One way to think of this is every time you read that, that sounds very churchy. So let me just keep it this way. It is God's active and dynamic rule. Or you can just translate this or shorten it. The rule or the reign of God. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God, he's talking about the rule and reign of God, the exercise of God's power and authority of God's dominion. So when he speaks of the kingdom of God, he's talking about this not a place, not a building, not a kingdom with a castle, but God's dynamic and active power at work as he rules. So that is kind of the concept that we're going to use when we talk about the kingdom of God. But we have eight weeks of it, so you'll hear it again and again of this idea. Now, before we go on any further, let's just take a moment to pray and just ask that God would speak to us here. So, God, we thank you so much again. We thank you. We thank you that you think of us. When, Lord, we are so small and undeserving of you or your love or your grace, we're undeserving of your rule and reign in our lives, but you think of us. And God, you invite us in to friendship with you. And so this morning, would you speak through me? Let this be about you and your words, not mine. And teach us all. 
as we study your word. Amen. Now, before we go on, I want to give a little bit greater understanding of the kingdom of God throughout Scripture. See, at the very beginning of your Bibles, there's this picture of creation. And there's this thing called the Garden of Eden that was created. And this is the Hebrew word, they actually use it today for paradise, of Garden of Eden. is this picture of, of paradise or heaven, you could think of it that way. And in the Garden of Eden, God existed with mankind, and there was no separation between God and man. There was no sin, so there was no pain, there was no grief, there was no sorrow, that man was in perfect relationship or had perfect peace with God. Now, mankind also had perfect peace with one another. And in the original creation of Adam and Eve, so it was perfect peace within a marriage, which I know is very common all the time, right? So perfect peace even between mankind. And there's even perfect peace within the relationship with creation. Everything was as it was meant to be in the original picture of the Garden of Eden, of paradise. So there's, begins with this picture of paradise. And we're told that there was a tree. And this tree was called the tree of life. It was symbolic of eternity, of living forever. The ability to exist in an eternal state in this perfect relationship with God. That was the very beginning of Scripture. Yet there was another tree and and that tree represented mankind, uh, this knowledge of good and evil and the choice that man wanted to make to be like God. And so sin, we chose from that tree and sin enters into the story. And mankind was asked, not asked, and mankind was removed from the Garden of Eden, removed from paradise, removed from this tree of life. The access to eternal life. Access to eternal peace with God symbolically here, right? So sin comes in and we're now on this side of the tree. And the rest of Scripture, so as we read throughout Scriptures, you hear stories of of toil and of pain and of war and and conquest and, and kind of the laments of life and all the hard things that you go through in life. That's because it's life on this side of the tree. And there's even stories of joy and great um, blessings and those things which are also part of the human experience, but they're always limited because they're on this side of the tree. Now, the prophets throughout Hebrew scriptures and even one in the New Testament, actually several times in the New Testament, spoke about a different reality. Another kingdom that was coming, or not another kingdom, but a reestablishment of this paradise. God's kingdom that we think of as, in, as heaven today, when we think about it, some of the prophets would speak about this. And they talked about the kingdom of God. And said that God is coming and real, will reestablish His reign, His rule. He'll reestablish the peace between man. He'll reestablish, He'll put things back the way they're supposed to be. In Revelation chapter 22, if you want to turn there, it is the very last chapter in the Bible. If you turn there, we see a picture of what happens on the other side, what they're talking about of heaven. And it says this in verse 1 of 22. And John is speaking and being shown around heaven. And said, Then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of it, street, on either side of the river was the tree of life 
bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3, there will be no longer any curse. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. So in Revelation chapter 22, gives us a picture of another tree, the tree of life. Is it the same one? I believe so. It's symbolic of eternal life. And notice in this picture, there's no, the curse has been removed. The curse they're talking about is sin. So we're no longer separated from God. And all of the results of sin have been fully done away with. Death, struggle, pain, sorrow, grief, tears, all of those things are gone. And there's now perfect harmony. Things are as they should be once again. Kingdom of God the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. You and I live between the trees. You and I live in a world between these two trees. And when Jesus came onto the scene, He came onto the scene somewhere between these trees. Now many of the prophets believed when the Messiah, who was Jesus, the sent one from God, would come, that He would reestablish the eternal kingdom and set things right Right there. They believed that the Messiah would usher in this side of the paradigm. But when Jesus came, he began speaking about the kingdom of God and he referred to it in two ways. And this all is going to make sense and it's important foundation, by the way. He, Jesus spoke about it in two ways. One, he said, the kingdom of God is something that is still yet to come. There is still this future picture, this future reality that is coming. When curse will be finally removed in its entirety. When there will be no more sin and death and pain and all those things. Jesus said that kingdom is coming. It will come. But he also spoke, and more often he said, the kingdom of God is now. It is at hand. He says, if you see these miracles I'm performing, if you experience this life with me, you are now part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here and now. So when Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, it was always with a now, there's elements of it, and a yet to come element of it. Jesus talked about the reality of the kingdom of God now. You can see some of the reverse of pain and sin and death. We'll talk about that in a moment. But not in its entirety. In fact, John the Baptist was known as a prophet in the New Testament. He preached and spoke. He saw Jesus and then here is the Messiah, the one who will take the sins of the world away. In other words, here is the one who's reversing the curse and bringing this, the other side of the tree. John proclaimed that that's who Jesus was. And on his deathbed, John was in a prison cell waiting to die. And he sent a message to Jesus and he said, Hey, I just got to know. Are you the one that I was expecting? Was I right? Was I right? And you know what Jesus' response was? It wasn't, yeah, you were right. You're good. He said, John, go tell John. The deaf can hear. The blind can see. Those who had no hope are regaining their hope. The sick are being healed. Jesus was saying, oh, you're right. See, in my life, in the ways I live, I'm reversing some of those effects of the curse of sin. I'm taking, there's little glimpses of the future reality that are showing up in my life. 
So instead of saying, yes, I'm the one, he said, look, John, you preach the kingdom of God is coming. I want to tell you it is here. And there's effects. You're seeing some of those effects. Effects of the kingdom of God. Sin is being removed and forgiven. It's all in my life. So Jesus spoke of a now kingdom of God and a yet to come kingdom. When we talk about the kingdom of God, life where heaven meets earth, we're talking about the now. What does it do for us now? Or what is it doing in our world now, the kingdom of God? But knowing that there's still a yet to come perfect future of the kingdom, we will never see it in its entirety between these trees. We want to see glimpses of it. So as we look through this study here today, we want to understand when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, there is a now and always a yet-to-come reality of the kingdom of God. Some of the now things that we have, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is now, some of the things we have are we have the presence of God with us now. He means that. In the garden, we had the presence of God. In heaven and eternity, we have the presence of God with nothing separating us. Now, we do have the presence of God. But we still have sin and sinful bodies that put a cloud before us, but in Jesus, it says that's been removed. God's presence is with us. I think of even before I was a Christian, there were times in my life when I experienced the presence of God and I did not know what it was or how it showed up. I remember a geometry teacher in 10th grade. I never spoke to my geometry teacher. I showed up at class, I put my head down in my lap, and I went to sleep for 55 minutes every single day. And I still passed. Isn't that fantastic? That's all I had, my only interaction with my geometry teacher. One day after class, she said, Hey, Ryan, before you leave, I didn't even know she knew my name. And she said, I don't know what it is, but you need, to do, you need to turn your life around. And I walked out of class going, what? Throughout that month, I had more than her. There were several people saying the same thing to me. See, God's presence was around me, and I didn't even know it at the time. But what it was, was the Holy Spirit was working in people's lives to get a hold of me. See, God's presence is with us. We have what's called the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He is with us, promised to be around us. The other thing we have today, that we have the presence of God and we also have the, uh, we have the promises of God available to us today. The promises of God are things like He will never leave us or forsake us. He will comfort us in our pain. He's an ever-present help in times of danger or times of trouble. That we can take heart when the world, when we face troubles in the world because He's already overcome the world. We have the promise that He will deliver us from our sin. He'll prepare a place for us in eternity. We have a promise that He'll provide for our needs and that His love will never fail us. You see, the kingdom of God now means we still have God's presence and we have His promises. They apply to life now. But there's always a not yet element that they're not in their fullest effect. But we're experiencing them. So, when we think about the kingdom of God, let's think of it's life between the trees. There's still a not yet, but there's also a now. So let's look a little bit closer here and understand what are some of the effects of the kingdom of God? How does the kingdom of God practically play out in our lives? Which areas of our life do we really experience the presence of God's kingdom? So let's look at a few of those. First of all, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we also have it on the screen for you, but if you like to jump around in your Bible, you're 
welcome to turn there in Colossians chapter 1. And in Colossians chapter 1, we have this prayer that the guy is writing this, is, a, is Apostle Paul, one of the great men of the faith, and he is praying a prayer for the church here in Colossians chapter 1. And we find, if we pick it up, we'll just pick it up in verse 12. Paul is praying for followers of Jesus, and he says, I'm always giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, he says, For he rescued us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the first thing we see here is that our relationship with God is changed by the kingdom of God now. Because we've been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of light. Now that sounds very churchy. So let me try to make it a little more practical. When I got married, in an instant, I was transferred from the kingdom of singlehood, in whom I was the king, and I reigned on my throne, and the TV always went to the channels that the king wanted, and the refrigerator always had the food that the king wanted and could afford. And everything was as the king said, because that was my kingdom I lived in. But when I got married and said I do, I flew up to Seattle and I rescued my bride from the rain and said, let's go to Southern California. (laughs) And we came down and we went into our apartment and I realized that I had been transferred from the kingdom of singlehood into the kingdom of married where I no longer was the supreme king. I think sometimes I'm more like court jester, somewhere in there. (laughs) But what happened there is in an instant, I was changed and transferred into a new kingdom. Jesus says, or Paul writes and says, we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. Because of what Christ did on the cross, he takes us from our former kingdom, which was marked by sin and was marked by being controlled by our old lives, he described it, our old self, and we now have a new self. But now here's the thing about my kingdom of marriedness. It didn't instantly change everything about my behaviors. See, there were still times when I maybe maybe was at an electronics store And I was looking at really important gadgets that I probably needed. (laughs) And I looked at them and see, the old kingdom is I could look at those and say, you know what, I can go without food for a week if I buy that. That's fine, that's what the king wants. And I could buy those things. And so still, now when I'm married, I might find myself looking at something and think, oh, maybe I should just get that. I remember the day when we needed a new computer, and so I went and bought one. I didn't talk to the queen. (laughs) I came home, and she reminded me that the kingdom works differently now. (laughs) You see, I still sometimes had some old behaviors from the old kingdom, and I had to learn, or some would say be trained, (laughs) in the new ways. We are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But we're still sometimes going to have tendencies of the kingdom of darkness. But here's the thing. Don't live there. That doesn't define you. 
Just because sometimes I behaved like a single man didn't mean I was single. It didn't mean that I lost my marriedness, my wedding ring. It didn't change just because I did something stupid. Too many of us follow Jesus and we think every time our old self shows up, every time our old life veers its and rears, rears, how do you say that? It's ugly head? That does not sound right right now, sorry. (laughs) That when that shows up, we think that somehow we no longer belong in this kingdom, but it's simply not true. The kingdom of God changes things. Sometimes we think that we don't have the power to change But the truth is, now you're in the kingdom of God. Your life has been transformed. You have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to to transform your life and to change those old behaviors. God starts working in you. Guess what? I've been married almost 20 years and I don't have some of those old single man behaviors. I don't think. (laughs) I still make the bed like a single man, I'll admit. (laughs) I don't think it needs extra pillows and, you know, the decorative pillows on a bed. That's married kingdom. That's not single kingdom. (laughs) But I put the pillows back. I'm told not always in the right order, but at least they're back. (laughs) But the longer I'm in this new kingdom, the more those old behaviors are transformed. Sometimes I don't even think about it. See, the longer we're walking with Jesus and the longer we recognize we're in a new kingdom, those old, that old self starts to die away and the new self is formed. When we surrender to the power of God and the Spirit. And I know some of you have things that you say, I don't know how I'm ever going to change. I've been struggling this with my whole life. Well, you need to believe today that through the power of God, you can be transformed. You're not owned by your old self. The kingdom of God changes your personal relationship. Next thing is this. The kingdom of God changes and affects our relationships with others. In John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to his followers, and he says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I loved you. We talked a little bit about this last week, but now get this. Greater love has no one than this, and he lays down his life for his friends. See, this is evidence of a kingdom of God at work in your relationships. This is not natural. This is not normal for life between the trees to love others as yourself, to lay down your life for others. That is not life between the trees. Life between the trees for humanity is usually very selfish, is it not? It's looking out for ourselves, hoping that we can build ourselves up, hoping that we can make sure that we're at least better than the one next to us. That's why there's so much judgment and comparison and deceit and all those things that are part of the human experience. But Jesus says, love as I loved you being willing to even lay down your life. In other words, be selfless. I have another airplane story for you. Okay, so my wife and I and kids were on a plane and we're traveling and it was the holidays. There's tons of families, so a bunch of kids on this plane. And we're in line to get on the plane and... And so we normally we don't like to stand in the line, but you know, when you have your bags, you're like, I want to make sure that I get a space to put my bag. So we got in line and there's probably like 30 people in front of us. And I noticed someone up towards the front of the line. It was a single lady. She was probably my age, maybe a few years older, but she had her carry on and she had the look. And I looked over at my wife. I said, she is going to cut in line. 
Look at her. She is about to cut in line. Now, is anyone in here who's line cutters? You're just going to admit it? Okay, first service, I had three people go like, oh yeah, I'm a line cutter. So we started a new life group for them. Um, but <laughs> and then some of you in here are line cutters. You just don't want to say it right now. I get it. So she had all the marks of a line cutter. She was up towards the front. She wasn't in line. She didn't want to wait in the line, but she wanted to be in front of the line. So she, she did all the moves that you do. She kind of carried her bag and she did the wander. You know, you stand next to the line and you just kind of do the, I'm just looking around, just hanging out. You guys know the moves, right? You've seen it. Some of you do it. And, and she was... And then she made contact, eye contact with the person that, her target. This is her target. And it was front of the line. She smiles and looks really nice. Now, she ignores everyone behind that person because we're the victims back here. And she sees that, they make eye contact. She even steps in closer as if they are long lost friends, right? And she does this little you know, just a little step, as soon as the mo- line moves forward, she does this step, and then a quick little, okay, now I'm in line. Just like that. Being careful to never turn around, because everyone behind her, well, in my world, everyone behind her is looking at her like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you did that. And I looked at my wife like, look, I told you, she's a line cutter. I knew it. I knew it. So we got on the plane and we got to our seats and the row behind us, there was a single mother with two little kids and they were acting like little kids. They were fine, but they were, you know, making some noise, not a lot. And then right next to her was the selfish lady. (laughs) She was sitting there and she looked super annoyed that she cut in line and still had to sit next to a mom with two kids. So we sat down, and, and I heard selfish lady kept making noises like, <gasps> every time the kids made any noise. And I have a little trigger in me. It's kind of like an anti-bully trigger. So I love underdogs. So as soon as I start sensing someone's being picked on, I start going like, all right, it's on. I'm going to... So I'm listening. And then comes down the row another single mom with another little child. And by the grace of God, they were assigned to sit right next to the other side of selfish lady. <laughs> So now selfish lady is sitting here and to her left, there's a mom with two little kids and to her right, there's a mom with one little kid. And she literally, she says this out loud. She goes, I hope these children know how to fly. Now, I don't know who she was speaking to. I think sending her thoughts to the universe as if the universe cares. I mean, everyone knew she was a selfish lady. No one, no one liked her for, you know, even the captain didn't like her. I mean, everyone. So she's there and says this, and then she says, I have a headache already. And at that, I start turning around because I feel like it's my role now to help her (laughs) gain perspective. So I turn around, and I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to say at this point, but I have all kinds of really good ideas that I'm sure are godly. And, And so I'm thinking like, what, were you never a kid? Were you born at 40 years old and uptight? Is that how life worked? You know, all of these things. And, and she said like, no, you know, I have this headache. And I was thinking, well, my neck hurts because your head's so big, it's pushing my seat. I mean, these were what's going through my head. And so I start turning around to impart wisdom. And my wife just reaches over and she just pushes my shoulder back to the seat. And she says, let it go. And I'm like, well, but she needs to know. She goes, no, let it go. You're not going to help anything. And I'm thinking, well, but someone needs to, you know, someone needs to let her know. And so I'm kind of now, I'm mumbling to myself, 
throwing my thoughts to the universe. (laughs) But see, in that moment, my relationships with other people were fully like the life between the trees. I wanted her, I wanted vengeance. I wanted her to feel shame. I wanted her to know that everyone in the world thinks she's selfish. I wanted her to just feel guilty and have a miserable flight because that's what she deserved. That was the kingdom that I was portraying. Now, next to her, the flight starts and you have a single mom with one little kid. who Here's this lady babbling to whoever. And she looks over at her and she hands her these headphones and says, hey, I just got these noise-canceling headphones. You should try them. They're amazing. And selfish lady takes them and she kind of goes, you know, and puts them on and says, yeah, they are amazing. And the generous mother says, why don't you wear them for the whole flight? Feel free. Go ahead. So selfish lady just says, oh, well, fine, I will. And puts them on. And then the flight takes off and the flight attendants come around and they come to the generous mother and the generous mother gets a glass of wine and she says, I want you to give this to selfish lady right there. And um, (laughs) that's how I heard it. (laughs) So the flight attendant gives it to selfish lady and says, here, this is, and the young mom just says, hey, it's my gift to you. I want you to have a great flight. Now, I don't know what was motivating generous mother. I would like to think she just did a study on the kingdom of God. (laughs) But what she was doing was demonstrating what life looks like in the kingdom of God. You see, she was demonstrating compassion. She was demonstrating mercy. She was demonstrating grace to someone who didn't deserve it. She was lavishing her with love for no reason. No reason at all. I wanted her to have justice and vengeance and shame and guilt. But generous mom said, no. She gave her a picture of God's reign and rule, what it looks like. See, when we think of our relationships and related to the kingdom of God, as Jesus transforms us, the way we live and interact with people gives them, it should give them a foretaste of the perfection on the other side of the tree. It should give them a glimpse of what life looks like under the reign and the rule of God. God's kingdom principles God has all of this figured out and he is a God who's going, he can be the judge. We don't have to. So he gives us freedom to be compassionate and gracious and loving and to give a foretaste of God's ultimate kingdom. See, the kingdom of God should affect our relationships with one another. It should change all of everything. I am so good at slipping back into kingdom of man. I'm so good at living life between the trees without a view of life beyond the trees. So the kingdom of God, though, should transform that, how we live. Finally, the kingdom of God impacts, it affects, the effects of it are found in our relationship with the world. Jesus, again, is uh, speaking to his disciples in John 15, and he says this, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, so as the Holy Spirit comes to you, 
He will testify about me or he'll give evidence to who my character, who I am. And you will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, Jesus is specifically speaking to his disciples, but transferred. It's also to now those who are followers of Jesus. We give test. We testify. We give solid evidence of who Jesus is. So as we interact with our world, we are putting the kingdom of God on display as a testimony, as a testifying of who Jesus is. The kingdom of God should change how we interact. This is why here at Seacoast, we want to be people who love our community. Why we say we love Encinitas, we love Carlsbad, we love North San Diego County. Why we want to take a day out in February just to serve. Because we want to love our world. We want to care about the people who are even at odds with us. Even the people who say, we think you're crazy. We don't agree with your stance on things. We don't agree with all of your beliefs. And we, instead of say, well, let's defend ourselves. Let's tell you why we're right. We can say, you know what? We understand, but we love you anyway. We care about you. We want to be people of empathy who can listen to your story and say, I I, I get it. I understand. We care. I don't know about you, but the last couple months I keep thinking the church has a lot of opportunities to shine the light of Jesus, do we not? (laughs) It seems like every day when I look at the news, I think, oh, there's more work. More work for Christians to demonstrate that we're transformed by the kingdom of God. There's more work for us to put God on display and to demonstrate a different way. We have a lot of job security here. (laughs) And it doesn't matter where you fall in politics. It's clear that in our nation alone, we're very divided. And everyone wants to point fingers at everyone else, and everyone probably has a little bit of valid point on their side. But the thing is, as Christians, we live with a different king who rules and reigns. And so the way we interact and with our community, with those who disagree with us, with those who don't like us. How we do that should be radically affected because of the kingdom of God. When Jesus says, it is now, when he says to John, hey, go tell John that things are changing because I came. Listen, church, things need to change because Jesus came. How we live in our world needs to change because of Jesus. It should just be different. It needs to be different. That's what he's called us to. And sometimes we're going to want to defend. Sometimes we're going to want to let justice reign. Well, let God be the God of justice. Let's let's represent his kingdom ways, the way we interact. And let's let God reign on his throne. Let's step aside. As a church, as we move forward, we want to be very much committed to those who don't know Jesus to helping reach the lost and wandering. We want to very much be committed to providing refuge to the broken and hurting in our community. They need to see that there's a place where God reaches out and says, you can find home here. We want to be very committed to shining the light of Jesus everywhere we go. Because the kingdom of God is converging with life between the trees. And it changes things. So I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way up. And as they make their way up, I want to direct our attention to Matthew chapter 6. 
And by the way, we, we did do this, give you the challenge of would you be willing to read through the Gospels through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John between now and Easter? I invite you to do that. You will find if you read through these, you're going to see so much kingdom language maybe you never realized was there. From the very beginning to the very end, even Jesus being crucified is about the kingdom. It's about the rule and reign of God. You'll see it. But in the middle, or here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is very much about the kingdom of God as well. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And, and he gets to a point where he teaches people to pray. And I don't know about you, but there's not a lot of times I actually think about this and say, wow, if Jesus taught me to pray and was very specific, that's something I should pay attention to, right? But I don't. (laughs) But Jesus teaches us to pray at one point, and this is what he teaches us. And it's known as the Lord's Prayer. If you've been around church, you've probably heard it, no matter what tradition or background you're from. And in this prayer, this is a kingdom prayer. Is God is on his throne. He is a holy one. We are not. He is high and lifted up. And then the prayer is, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your reign and your rule, the power that happens there, let it happen between the trees. Provide for our needs. Forgive us for our sins. Because you are the one. This is your domain, your kingdom. Your glory. So, Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray a kingdom prayer. It says, God, let your kingdom be evident here and now. Let your power be evident in our lives here and now. And it's never in its full perfection. If it was just here and now, this was it, if there wasn't a future reality that's better, that's a very discouraging thing, is it not? If things aren't one day going to get better, that's discouraging. But we need to know that God's power is at work today. And we need to be praying, God, let your kingdom come, your will be done. And so I want to do something as a church, as we're going to sing two more songs here to end. But before we do that, would you all stand and let's pray this prayer together that God taught us to pray. And we have the words on on the screen so that we use the same version. (laughs) And let's pick it up and start with our Father. Let's pray this out loud together as a prayer of God, your kingdom be made known in us. So let's pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.